Welcome to the Secret Nerd Podcast, where we think everyone should play tabletop RPGs and give you some reasons why. me today. I am super excited to talk to this guest. They are a podcaster, uh, streamer, and award-winning GM, among a bunch of other stuff. Uh, We're going to get into some really awesome conversations. So yeah, if you would like to introduce yourself. Uh, hey, uh, my name is Kendrick, or Kendo, whichever you prefer. Uh, I uh, use they, he pronouns. Uh, I Yeah, I'm all those things. <laughs> I'm all those things you just said. Uh, I... I'm the host uh, and GM for the actual play podcast, Tales Yet Told. Uh, I am one of the hosts and primary GM for the actual play live stream, Prayers in the Static, that is currently uh, on Bards and Brews, uh, well, twitch.tv forward slash Bards and Brews. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for inviting yeah. me. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, we're, we'll get into all of that stuff. Where I always like to get started is how did you get into nerd stuff in general? Well, my dad was a huge nerd uh, when I was uh, when I was so when I was growing up, I watched I, I watched like a lot of anime and uh, like read like comics that my dad was really into. And so yeah. that was kind of like my introduction into like nerddom as a whole. Uh, but mm-hmm. as far as like tabletop gaming goes, I was introduced in like late high school uh, by a friend of mine, Robin, um, who showed me this creator uh, on. Did you ever watch Channel Awesome? No, I have not. Channel Awesome was the, is this real old, basically defunct at this point, uh, <laughs> group of uh, internet reviewers who would review like various forms of media. And one of them on okay. there, uh, his name was Spoonie, and he had a review, not a review show, he had a show called Counter Monkey, where he would talk about his time working as, uh, like in comic book shops, playing tabletop games and such. And like, so the stories that he would tell were like my introduction to like what tabletop gaming was. And I was like, yeah, so enthralled by it and immediately started watching like the early like acquisitions incorporated stuff with Chris Perkins mm-hmm. and like the PAX, uh, the Penny Arcade crew and like all of that stuff. And like, that's how I like basically entrenched myself into like Dungeons and Dragons and, since then it's nice. only grown <laughs> yeah it's only gone deeper yeah, yeah that's right. really cool yeah um so did you get to like play around that time or was it just kind of just absorbing all the content i got to play a little so i taught myself dungeons and dragons fourth edition to then teach to my okay. friends so that we could play dungeons and dragons um yeah. and i played on and off uh for like the remainder of my high school, like junior, senior year in high school, um, on and off because every now and then I would get in trouble for like not doing homework and stuff. And so my mom was like, nah, you can't, you can't be hanging out with your friends. And I'm like, God, but I want to play. Um, and then that became more consistent in college when I could just do whatever I wanted. Um, yeah. 
and I went a little too far, actually, because there was a decent period of time where I was like, oh, man, I have so much freedom and, like, free time now. I could just play as much as I want. And so every Saturday, I had four games going back to, from Jeez. the time I woke up in the morning <laughs> to, like, 8 o'clock at night. I would have games, wow. two of which I GM'd, and, like, I did that for a couple of months and then burned out, <laughs> as yeah. one probably would, right? <laughs> Yeah. That's yeah, that's a long that's a long day for sure. I think I could definitely see it happening a few times. Um like if I had the the free time to do it for sure, but I think it would be a lot because it's just this like I mean, especially like as a GM, I'm always I'm always kind of amazed whenever a GM's like, "Oh yeah, I play like a 12-hour session." I'm like, "You're just like making shit up." Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> every every moment is just a made-up thing and you're just like scrambling to put stuff together. Um which is pretty impressive, but it's also like terrifying uh as well. <laughs> yeah. Like I I feel like I'm pr- I'm prime I'm very improvisational as a GM. I don't know yeah. if I could do it for 12 hours. I couldn't do it 12 hours straight. Yeah, for sure. I yeah, I'm the same, and I think I I feel the same way. I think there's definitely be some things um, where it's like, okay, well, you know, I like to like, especially I don't always like to just use monsters. This is like a um, look into my my GM style. I don't like to just use monsters. I really enjoy creating um, NPCs that could fight, mm-hmm. uh, but that also means you have to like go in and build a character sheet and you know, they're generally higher level than the party is. And uh, if you make a spell caster, you know, they're like fucking learn all these spells. And so it's just a massive, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I could, you know, if you're just throwing in monsters, it makes it a little bit easier to just like, you know, okay, yeah, here's a fucking level six monster. I guess yeah. we'll just go do this thing. Um, Cause you could just open up yeah. the monster manual and be like, uh, okay, this one. <laughs> yeah. But if Oof, yeah, drop it in. Similarly, yeah, uh, I primarily, whenever I was playing Dungeons and Dragons, like for the most part, like I would, most of the things that my players were fighting were just other people. Cause I've always found yeah. it more, I find that conflict much more interesting than yeah. like just like monster fights can be cool. Cause they come with all these different abilities, all these different kinds of territories. And like, they can be good backdrops for plots for like, mm-hmm. oh, someone has an issue with this. This is why you're going out to go fight this thing, or this thing is an obstacle. But when it's yeah. people, there's like a very different dynamic that comes mm-hmm. with that, that I personally as a GM am more interested in. Yeah, I definitely agree. Like I think just that human conflict stories mm-hmm. are what make are what make it more fun. Cause I'm I'm looking, I'm thinking about now the the last campaign that I was running. Cause now I'm a player. We have like a one primary game. Uh, in our home group and mm-hmm. we've alternated now where we're playing um we're playing an adventure path for pathfinder 2e and my buddy's running it because it's his first time gming and so i'm not the gm anymore which is kind of a weird thing but it's <laughs> you know it's been fun but yeah like in the game that i ran there were like they did encounter monsters and stuff along the way as they explored the jungle but they're also their primary conflict was centered around other people, around these people who, who had like come in and were trying to like recolonize mm-hmm. this area, and they were like fighting against that. And yeah, but it just yeah, it just made it more fun. And then you know, it's easy, it's more interesting to have those moments where it's like the players don't know what NPCs are good or bad, and you know they don't know like who to trust, and mm-hmm. and it creates a 
an engaging kind of role play of like, all right, well, I have to suss this person out now. Like, you know what I mean? How do you, how do we figure out who's good and who's bad and what's the right way to go about this? And exactly. Yeah, I love that. And then people also have like connections to other people. So if you get in conflict with one person, you might not just be in conflict with this one person, even, yeah. even a random group of bandits you find like in the middle of the road, you fight, you fight them, you beat them, whatever. And you go on about your day. Someone's going to hear about this and they're going to have opinions <laughs> on yep, what that exactly. means. And like, that yeah. just adds a whole nother dynamic and depth of like consequence in like having to choose how you interact with these things. Cause like monsters, like while there is nuance with like, oh, is it right to kill this monster? Is it right to mm -hmm. fight this? Are we doing these for the right reasons? That I find that it's like, it's harder to make that kind of moral decision really hit home or like be something that is um, uh, immediately, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like relatable yeah, yeah, yeah easily relatable right because in our everyday lives it's not like we're fighting monsters and having to choose the difference but we are constantly having to deal with other people and choose the mm -hmm. way we interact with them and like those kind of relationships are so much more easily relatable to players where they think about those consequences more when they're faced with ah this person's kind of an asshole yeah. but he's got a family yeah. <laughs> yeah which i think like that's that's kind of an interesting thing that that fantasy ttrpgs do is that they frame they frame violence around players versus monsters right mm -hmm. but it's not always as we just discussed players versus monsters um in a show that i uh was uh, like a guest host on recently i talked about the fact that like the fact that in D&D's monster manual, you can still find a drow and an orc and a knoll. You know what I mean? Like things like yeah. that, like characters that you can play. Um, I think it's it's a weird thing. It's it's probably yeah. not the best thing because it really it really is telling the characters like, yeah, these are players you can be, but they're but you're you're now getting to play the monster, um, and it just kind of further justifies that like violence against these characters yeah um it's which i mean like yeah i play these games like i enjoy the fights too i'm not trying to take that away from anybody but i do think it's interesting how we frame a lot of that stuff and how it's just like okay in a game where we're just like yeah it's perfectly fine that we killed that guy and stole money from the the uh, uh yeah. the shopkeeper because they wouldn't give us what we wanted like how else were we supposed to get it yeah it's a distinct creative choice that if you open up the Dungeons and Dragons monster manual, you will find sentient people in the <laughs> section that is monsters. And then in the other portion where it's like the regular people where like it's guards and stuff, you don't find orcs, yeah. drows, goblins, lizard folk in there. And then you yeah. get, um, what is it? I think it's Morton Kaiden's, um, wait, is it? Uh, of Foes. Yes. Is that the one I'm thinking of? No. I'm I thinking th of... Uh, hold on, sorry. Or is it uh, with a V? Oh, what's the name oh, of that? Vol yes, Volo's Guide to Monsters. That yes. It includes monstrous races that you can be. And it's like, if you're playing them, you're one of the others, right? Which... Yeah. And, like, even in the playbook, like, the fact that, like, 
being an orc is not a default choice. Being a half-orc is. And somehow mm-hmm. the connection between being closer to being human is enough to give a person personhood and not be a monster yeah. is yeah. something to really look at and, and yeah. think about more carefully. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's it's super it's super wild to like the the amount of um like study that goes into it when you like really take the time to think about it and and a lot of times we're not meant to right because i think mm-hmm. if we were meant to they wouldn't be written this way but yeah, it's no. really just like you know old tropes and yeah and i think it's really curious too like that desire around playing a monster right like like what is that what does that really mean what is that saying about us and what are like and what is that saying about like the fact that we're accepting it and i think what's super fascinating is like so many marginalized folks look at a lot of this stuff and uh much like many of the things in our lives that start out bad we just take it and we turn it around and make it into um something positive and i think Mm -hmm. that's a good way to to interact with it but not everybody can do that yeah but i do think it's fascinating that the approach to this is going to be different depending on your your background and the way that you sort of look at life yeah i had a uh uh, one of the last dungeons and dragons games that i had um the like last big arc that we went through it was the kind of campaign as a whole was kind of scaled down where it primarily took place in one town and the players Mm -hmm. were for the most time that we were playing were playing as commoners um Mm -hmm. having to like take charge in situations and like having to like um really own and advocate for the things that they wanted to happen in the town on a large scale um yeah. and one of the big things that were hap- uh, that was happening was that there was a giant that was making its way to in the direction of the town it wasn't trying to get to the town but the town was in its way and because mm. of that, this is a big deal because everyone's like, it's going to just walk over our town and like destroy everything, right? Um, yeah. And uh, part of the history that we had established through a game of the Quiet Year during like an interlude was that this area that this town was built on used to be a giant's like burial. Gr- like this was a holy place to them that that whenever they were coming close to die, they would come here and do whatever their death ritual was. Um, yeah. And part of uh and part of like them like because they were commoners at the point they can't fight a giant but they were like hey let's go out meet this giant see what's up before it gets here and (laughs) they go to like they're trying to talk to it and the giant like doesn't even recognize it's like you guys are just people whatever i don't care about you (laughs) all i'm doing my own thing right now i'm carrying out a thing as one of the last of my people i am trying to finish a cultural ritual for myself um yeah and they're like they really had to engage with this um, idea of like the other, like the other people in the town who were panicking and like the authorities of the town who were like, all right, we got to kill this thing. And like all of this other stuff. And like, it was in that moment that they're like, Oh wait, okay, hold on a second. This is like a full ass person who is just trying to, who's just trying to do a thing, but also like exist on a scale and, in a way that we we have no real way of being able to engage with. And I find that yeah. so much more interesting when working with 
the lists of monsters in the monster manual because even in the monster manual and then like Volo's guide to monsters and Xanathar's guide to everything or whatever uh or Modern Mordenkainen's uh Tome of Foes it tr- it gives the some of these like designation of monsters like cultures and mm-hmm. religion and mythology and dynamics and the way that they interact with each other and it's like so you are agreeing that these are people <laughs> you are agreeing that these are full-on people who have their own ways of life and doing things but are mm-hmm. still framing it in a way where violence is justified to them because the way in which their culture and the way in which they interact with us is negative for us which means it's okay to kill them (laughs) yeah 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 it's it's pretty wild i mean like you're now that you're framing it in this way i'm thinking about like a very real world uh allegory to that is is religious mission right Mm -hmm. like to go to another country and be like look whatever the fuck you believe in is wrong um this is what you should be believing in instead. Uh, and we're going to give you a bunch of resources that you don't have um, because somebody else came before us and took them all away and made it so it would be difficult for you guys. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah, we're going to, like, use this as our kind of um, uh, currency to, like, gain trust and, and show you the value of our God. Mm-hmm. And it's just that's such a wild thing because it's that's that's exactly it like these people have their own culture their own religions their own uh belief systems and to assume that yours is more right because it's yours or quote unquote your god told you so yeah is like that's so wild yeah i don't know i mean it's it's a very interesting thing i think like over the course of doing this podcast i've really analyzed a lot of how i look at these games and how I approach them. And it's definitely, it's definitely changed a lot. Just like listening to people's stories, because I think it's, for me, it's impossible to, to not draw parallels between our real life and the lives that we play in our games. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, it's super fascinating that like we can do this stuff. Yeah. I was saying in uh yeah, we, you and I are, are in a, uh, probably in a few, but in a discord server together. And I was saying there, I was playing, I always play with my kids, uh, like I pretend like to be a monster and stuff. And the other day, my daughter, uh, my youngest daughter, as I was like growling and, and pretending to be like this wild creature, um, she's like, relax, breathe, breathe. And she like used like, she like calmed me down instead of fighting against me. And I was like, this is incredible. This is so like, good. Yeah. De-escalating monsters. Um, <laughs> And, uh, you know, we've like, I've never like even, I mean, she's three, like she has no idea what monster care squad is, but like, just the, I'd like that. I was immediately like, oh my God, this is it. Like, this is, you know, um, but I, I want to continue to foster that, like to that idea that it doesn't always have to be violence, you know? Yeah. Cause I think one of the, the biggest things is that because of this othering of monsters, quote unquote, like, let's take goblins, because I think this will be the easiest form to do mm-hmm. this. Or goblins or orcs or whatever, like, humanoid yeah. forms of monsters, because of, uh, mm-hmm. that makes them closer to people for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, the way in which a lot of, let's say, modules choose to frame violence towards them as being... Mm-hmm. Mo- they are monstrous, they are savage, they have all these weird beliefs and cultures that make them somehow less valid as people or culture. And, like, you get, like, a lot of quests where it's like, oh, man, these goblins were 
you know, they raided a, uh, they, they raided this caravan or whatever. We need you to go and wipe out their whole village because of this. And it's like, (laughs) if we treated situations like this less like, oh, it is us versus these monsters and treating Mm -hmm. it similarly to conflicts between just different communities, right? Where it's like, oh, people from this community attacked attacked our caravan and like stole some stuff the first like if that were to happen in the real world like the first thing that wouldn't like we don't just like all right time to go kill everyone in that in that city (laughs) right we we have a diplomatic person go out like hey this is the thing that happened are you going to hold these people accountable and if not like what are our steps for through that like if we treat yeah. it like that, where it's not, oh, these goblins attacked our caravan, go kill them all. And like, hey, these goblins attacked our caravan. Can you please escort this diplomat to go to this goblin village so that we can talk about what are the actions forward? And like, if violence be the answer, because there is some like non-passable uh, a barrier there, then so be it. But like having violence yeah. always be the immediate answer to everything, like... And a lot of that comes to what the mechanics of the games that we're playing are. Like, if you look mm-hmm. at Dungeons and Dragons, the va- like a good more than half, if not almost all, of the mechanics in that game have to do with enacting violence in some way, shape, or form, yeah. be it physical, emotional, uh, social, whatever. And there are no, there are very slim hard mechanics on how to deal with conflict that isn't just i need to pull out my sword or cast my spell (laughs) or whatever and yeah yeah i i I don't know what a new form of dungeons and dragons or or pathfinder or other games like these that center around enacting violence would look like in a way that that isn't what they're centered on but i would like to see what that is Truly. Yeah. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is, is, uh, transplaner. The way that Connie runs transplaner Mm -hmm. is very much like that because it is, it's a like anti-colonial anti-orientalist. And so there are monsters, but even once like the monster's done, it's still like they're, they're created by this, by this calamity basically. And so they are sort of these mindless things, but like you have multiple different, uh, you know, races and people all working together and and living together and normal. And so the conflicts that they have are very human conflicts. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times like combat isn't a super common thing in transplaners show. Um, but the amount of work that goes into making that specific thing is immense uh, because it, the framework is in there. Mm Um, like you said, and so yeah, it's it's interesting. Uh, there are Connie uses a lot of homebrew rules to make um, social situations work with what D and D has provided. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that that part of it's fascinating. But yeah, it's it's tough. Though. I mean, but that's one example out of the thousands of D and D actual plays out there or TTRPG actual plays out there um, that just don't have it. I think like. I mean, I play a lot of like video game RPGs and my favorite missions, like in uh, The Witcher, for instance, like you're a monster slayer. But what that also means is like 
you can just break the curse, like figure out how to break the curse of yeah. this creature. Um, now, some creatures are just like there to be fodder for your sword. Uh, and other times, like you have like specific things where it's like, okay, well, there's two ways to go about this. You either fight the thing or you figure out what the fuck happened to it and free it. And I think if we took that approach more to, um, in in playing these games, I think that would lend itself to that. But also like the framework has to change too. Yeah. Um, you know, like having a bestiary instead of a monster manual, I think is like one language thing that's pretty easy to change. And mm -hmm. then it's like, okay, well, um, because I play a lot of Pathfinder 2E, like the bestiary has like divine and evil monsters. And like, there's this, you know, it's a full range of stuff that's not just that, but then also like having an NPC gallery instead of a monster manual. Yeah. Um, so it's like, you know, these are other types of cultures that you can look at that are just NPCs that you can interact with. Um, doesn't mean you have to go to war against them. <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly. It could just be like another town in your, in your home, in your homebrew world. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's just like things like that. We got to just kind of look at, but yeah, it's, it's so much fun, but it's also a ton of work <laughs> that people need to do Yeah, and not everybody wants to do the work to do it. Um, which I mean, I think kind of leads me into your, your uh podcast tells yet told like you play other games that aren't D D. was some of the stuff that we were talking about was that like part of what led in that direction yes i think i've over the past i want to say like two two or three years up until early mid 2020 Dungeons and Dragons was the game that I played. I had played like some, uh, I'd played some Dungeon World before, and mm -hmm. uh, I'm trying to think. I think those were, oh, and I had played some Shadowrun before, but up, um, but uh, other than those three, like Dungeons and Dragons was the game that I played. And then yeah. upon getting into the tabletop community on TikTok, um, I started branching out into other. Uh, indie games. Um, I ended up joining this group called Beggar Talk, uh, which was primarily just TTRPG people who were just begging people to play games <laughs> that nice. weren't Dungeons and Dragons. And through them, like I really opened up to like now my you can see full of like I have this one shelf that is Dungeons and Dragons. Everything else are different games now. Um, yeah. And I had fallen in love particularly with the Powered by the Apocalypse system and, like, games from that. Because I find myself to be a lot more narratively driven as a game master. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And it, it's a system that is built for that kind of narrative gameplay. And so, yeah, for Tales Yet Told, um, our first season is Babes and uh, we're using Babes in the Wood uh, from... Uh, Adam Voss, uh, World Champ Game Co. We're actually playing his mm -hmm. first edition of Babes in the Woods. He came out with the second edition, like around the time we started, and we had oh. we had the whole conversation like, "Are we going to switch? We just recorded our first episode. Is it yeah. worth it?" That kind of deal. <laughs> um, yeah. And it turned out like uh, I had talked to him, and apparently, Babes in the Wood first edition was like one of the first games he had ever made. And you can kind of tell oh, wow. it doesn't have the same kind of polish that a lot of his new games. Do, but it mm -hmm. first edition still works great for what we're doing um yeah and yeah a lot of the reason why i moved away from uh dungeons and dragons was because i kept finding myself like having to do so much work 
uh, as a game master in order to tell the kind of kind of stories that I was actually interested in playing, uh, mm-hmm. rather than being given what is a scaled down war game <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and trying to make it a, a narrative storytelling game. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's definitely interesting. And I think like the, the fact that there's so many APs out there that, you know, both like influence and compete against each other, I think it makes it all the more fascinating how, how we get to some of the things that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, for the, the, the babes in the wood game and, um, you know, and the game, I guess, are you on a different system now in the current? Uh, we are about to start our, a new mini arc. That's going to be between season one and season two of, of strangers okay. in the wood, uh, where we yeah. are playing Rapscallion, uh, which is a ash can game. Um, currently distributed by Magpie. Uh, it's a okay. it's a pirate uh, powered by the Apocalypse game, which is nice. I'm so excited for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, that's fun. Um, no, but that's super cool. So yeah, like the what? what tell us a little bit about the game, um, the Strangers in the Wood game. Yeah, so uh, Strangers in the Wood uh, is. Over the Garden Wall, if it took place in the 80s rather than like a pastoral, uh, like Americana, uh, yeah. kind of deal, <laughs> it is a weird mixture of like fairy tale and like sci fi horror. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's so hard to I do a lot of I'm a big fan of genre matching and so things yeah. get hard to describe <laughs> at a certain That's point. Fair, yeah. Um yeah. uh but it follows uh two foster siblings, uh, Dorothy and Dakota, who get lost mm. in the woods one Halloween night and find themselves in this weird uh autumnal forest, uh forest world called the Sublime. Uh, where they meet uh, the third player, uh, Walter, who is a talking weasel, uh, a per- uh, uh, who used to be a person who was turned into a weasel. And nice. it follows their journey as they try to get out, but constantly spirals as almost every place that they go to, they find a way to just mess things up almost <laughs> irrevocably where places yeah. have been burned down destroyed in some way shape <laughs> or form they are yeah. <laughs> they are little troublemakers as i've uh consistently been calling them yeah that's awesome yeah so do you i mean it sounds a lot like i've i've listened to the first episode of it mm-hmm. but it sounds a lot like it kind of a, a blend of like horror and comedy yes uh we uh, i uh, so i did my introduction to improv was doing short form, uh, short, mm, short form improv, uh, in like high school. And then upon getting into college, long form improv comedy. And so I sometimes find it very hard not to lean into the comedy portions a bit, but I feel like it really balances out. I'm also a huge fan of, uh, improv drama as well. Um, and so being able to kind of like balance and like, go back and forth between like these really like hard hitting serious moments and then realizing some of the levity that are in these moments and being able to joke, uh, through the tears as it were sometimes. Um, yeah. 
and so yeah, we we kind of go back and forth between haha, this is kind of funny. Oh wait, I looked at this a little harder. This is actually really bad. This is, yeah. <laughs> this is terrifying even. <laughs> No, I love it. That's yeah, that's right my alley. I I definitely feel the same. Like I've never taken improv, but I think um I definitely like I deal with a lot of things with humor. Mm-hmm. Um and and all of like my uh like running up games, you know, GMing and and playing games is like very mm-hmm. improv based, so I definitely uh I lean into that. But yeah, I, but I also love horror stuff. Like I was thinking about the other day like the, all the games that I'm like either writing or want to write are like mysteries or horror games That's or so horror good. mysteries. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Some mixture like, of yeah. the two. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, that's, I guess that's, that's my thing. Yeah. Um, which is fine, but I think it's, you know, it, it is, it is fun to, um, to get in there and mix it up because I think too, like you have to have some levity in there. Oh yeah. Uh, even in a horror stuff because it, if you're always terrified, it's just, that's, that's never going to be it's, good. Yeah. It's never, you need, if everything is always doom and gloom and everyone's constantly always like, okay, we got something to be running from, which is kind of how I run my game sometimes. Uh, <laughs> then it like, that becomes so draining, which is why you need those moments of like a laugh or like, even like there, I make sure that there are elite, are at least like a session or two of the characters just being able to stay in a place and kind of process everything that's happened. Because if you don't, then like you miss out on so much of the depth of what makes horror really good or even what makes comedy really good or drama really good, where if you can spend time with those characters and get those fun character moments out of the comedy of like, Oh, this is this specific character's quirk. Like whenever a certain stressful situation is happening or this is how they react to certain things. Like that's how you really get the most out of your characters. Your game shouldn't be in there just like, the game shouldn't be about the horror. It should be about how mm. characters are interacting with the horror. That's what makes it horrible. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, and just that, you know, that constant, like, you know, those moments of safety, like feeling feeling good where you can kind of reflect on stuff, but also knowing like safety doesn't last forever exactly. in those situations. And mm-hmm. yeah, I love that. Yeah, I'm <clears throat> the... Uh, game I'm designing has a lot of that. Like it has like go out and do some like adventuring type stuff. Um, but then in the downtime, like after you've done all this stuff, now there's these mechanics of like, how do you deal with the things that have just happened? Exactly. Um, and yeah, I love, I love that. Cause I, I think one, I think it's just a fun way to role play. Like that's obviously what I enjoy. That's why I'm making it. But I also think, like as a listener of a lot of shows, um, as somebody who does like performing sometimes, like and just running games, like I think those make the best stories as well. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm much more inclined to like pay attention and get really into uh, an AP that has a lot of narrative stuff going on than I am to to any combat because as soon as combat happens, it's so hard like, to follow. It's so hard to fall. And I'm, and I'm like, admittedly, I'm always trying to do multiple things at once. So, um, yeah, I get it. Like I'm splitting my focus, but also, um, 
it's just hard. Like, I'm like, yeah. shit, wait, when did this person show up? How did, how? <laughs> okay, hang on. That was a lot of damage. What just, what did you just attack with? Right. Um, and then like where people you know, but, are in the battle. Like if you aren't like, yeah. that's the one thing that streams have over podcasts is that it makes combat much more accessible as an audience mm-hmm. member if yes. they have a battle map because you can yeah. see what's going on there. Yeah. Well, and I think it's two, it's two different avenues of focus, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're watching it and you're listening to it. And so those are two things in your body telling you like, this is what I'm paying attention to. Whereas like, I'm like, I play video games while I'm watching a TV show on my phone. (laughs) And you know what I mean? Like, I just, I, I get it. Like my my brain is everywhere, you know? So like, (laughs) I'm just like, I can't do this. Um, But I think it's, it is it's great to have both of those things because I think not every person is like me or like you, like we, we like specific things and, and, but I still like the combat too. It's just that it's harder for me to listen to, but not everybody is that way. Some people live for the combat. You know what I mean? Some people as listeners like, fuck yeah, I just want to see like how many points this person can get and like what's happens, what spell do they pick on the next level and et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Which I think is, is it's fine to have both things. It's good to have both things, but yeah, I enjoy having that scenario of being able to listen to just like a fucking good story yeah, um, and get really into it too. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of why I like, that's one of the reasons why I like powered by the apocalypse as much as I do is because the combat Mm. in that flows so seamlessly with the narrative where like, and strangers in the woods, like, we have like some combat, not a lot, just because of the nature of the game. But whenever <laughs> yeah. we do, it's like. Hey, y'all. It's your favorite host. And I wanted to just pop in here to say uh, if you're enjoying the show uh, and you'd like to give us some support, the best way to do that is through Patreon. Uh, I've launched the Patreon with a couple of tiers. There's a $3 tier, which gives you access to the Discord, and you come hang out with uh, me and the other friends inside of that, uh, and just kind of talk the show, talk a bunch of different nerd stuff. And then there is another tier, an $8 tier, uh, where you can get early access to episodes ad-free. You will also get free access to all uh, micro RPGs that I create in the future. Yeah, so again, uh, thank you so much for listening to the show. Um, if you'd like to give additional support, that's one way to do it. Another great way to do it is just, you know, go on to whatever platform you're listening to and rate the podcast, subscribe, uh, follow, leave a review if you can. Um, those things really help gain visibility for the show, and it is always greatly appreciated. Link is in the description. Thank you so much, and back to the episode. There's no role for initiative, right? Dungeons and Dragons yeah. and uh, games of its ilk have specifically two modes that are happening there. You have the narrative mode where everything is kind of free form narration. You guys, mm-hmm. you guys are talking about what is happening. Your GM poses something. You respond. Maybe you all do some talking, and then there is combat, which has specifically distinct physics and mechanics to it. Mm-hmm. And the break in that of rolling for initiative is like it's a switch has to flick on in your brain to be like, okay, wait, this is a different thing that is happening. And once you yeah. move into the second mode of play, it has a different kind of focus that you need 
as both people playing it and as an audience to be able to stay engaged with what's going on. And because of the way that it's framed, it doesn't always, it's, it, it takes a lot of effort on both the players and the GM to make combat in, let's say specifically Dungeons and Dragons narrative. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of work to be able to have a consistent flow of characterization, a consistent flow of narrative of dialogue and have that go in between people also having to look on their character sheets and be like, all right, I guess I'm not going to do fireball this time (laughs) or acid spray or uh, which, which uh, martial uh, martial maneuver am I going to use now? (laughs) It's like, there's a lot to have to think about that. And then also the narrative, narrative and it Mm -hmm. it it takes a lot of work it can be done i'm not saying that it can't but because of the amount of work that it takes it's harder for people to make that transition feel smooth and make that transition feel satisfying of like all right and and also there's like the narrative dissonance of like how dice work as well where (laughs) like let's say everyone like you walk into you walk into the throne room of the evil king or whatever. He's got all his guards there waiting to fight you. He sneers down at the paladin who specifically came, was like a member of the king's guard however long ago. These two have beef. A specific narrative dynamic that is so strong, so powerful. They they throw words back and forth. Paladin draws his blade. They're ready to go. You roll initiative. The paladin gets last in the initiative. Everyone goes. before the paladin and there's just that dissonance of like the momentum of the story and what the dice are actually telling you yeah absolutely and that and then and then the paladin rolls a one yeah exactly and it's like (laughs) and then you're like okay yeah uh yeah no i i totally agree with that i think for sure especially in 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 D and pathfinder like those games like it's so hard and then there's you know and then it's just not dynamic right Mm -hmm. like it takes a lot of work to make it dynamic too because it's like a lot of people like benefit from just like staying where they are uh and not moving um, because their move, like their action economy says, don't move. You are in the perfect place to get all the dice you need. Mm-hmm. And then the other one that really pulls me out and drives me nuts is how a p- character with one HP has the same acts the same way as a character with 150 HP. So yeah, like I, yeah. I, I definitely think like that part of it, like that is it really, I, it is what it is. And I take it for what it is when I play those games, but it's also super frustrating. And so the other end of that is like kind of what you're talking about, like with, you know, PBA, PBTA games, for instance, is like, now you have this narrative, um, which I think for a lot of us, I think probably, I think I'm seeing now that I'm talking about this, like a, a coinciding of, of we watch a lot of anime and we like to play PBTA games so we can describe the shit that we see in anime yeah. <laughs> and it still feels good when we're playing the game. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I think that that is where it kind of comes in. But like what really, what I've struggled the most with in PBTA is conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, because so many of them, like, I think a lot of them do make sense, but I think a lot of times it's like, I don't, I don't necessarily feel like this applies in the best way. And, that that part of it is like that's where I get hung up on it, mm-hmm. and that could just be my own thing. But I I know that I have a few other friends. We have a few other friends that also feel the same way. I've been talking um, with CJ about this for yeah. so long. <laughs> I know. Yeah. 
but yeah, I agree. I don't know, but it's it's just like I don't know. What there is no perfect game, right? At least yeah. I haven't found it personally, and other people might feel differently. But I do think it's there are these different things that get us closer to what we want, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then we can decide if we want to do our own thing to make it different or not. And PBTA has other variations of how they do it as well. Like cartel PBTA is a lot different than mass PBTA. Like cartel PBTA is like, if the narrative says you get shot, you then get, uh, you gotta roll and see if you die or not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Like, sorry, that's and it's a not bullet. about your hit points. <laughs> You're a yeah. person. Yeah, yeah. Whereas like mass is like you get thrown through a building. Um, you are basically Robin from Batman. Uh, you're still alive because you can't die here. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because so, you're. Cause, yeah, that's. Yeah, there is because yeah. that's not the aim of the game. Mm-hmm. There is a. Um, I've played one uh, PBTA game that a friend of mine made called Chasing Adventure, uh, which is a, like a better version of Dungeon World in my opinion, because uh, Dungeon mm-hmm. World is essentially just D and D light. Um, yeah, <laughs> but, uh, and chasing adventure has like, a, a lot of similar elements to a uh, dungeon world, but they also have conditions rather than health. And the way that they yeah. answer that, um, kind of, uh, issue that you were talking about where sometimes the conditions given to you aren't, don't feel applicable, uh, to mm-hmm. your current situation. Um, their answer to that was essentially like, you can choose what your condition is you can give it whatever adjective you want um Mm. it just has to go to one of your five stats um so uh when you're taking condition either from uh you know taking damage or you can push yourself to get advantage on a roll by giving yourself a condition and something Mm. uh let's say strength right you're fighting someone they hit you with their war hammer right in the gut and you take a condition and you're like, Oh, okay. You know, I'm going to take this condition in strength. Um, yeah, you can call that whatever you want. It can be winded. It can be broken ribs. It can be whatever you want. So the narrative and like framing is completely on you as far as whatever you want to make it. And you can also choose any stat that you want to give it to as well. Um, yeah. The benefit that you get from this is that the way that you get XP in that game isn't just by failing rolls. You get it by making rolls in stats that you have a condition in. And so if you took yeah. that strength condition, you're like, all right, I'm still fighting and you go and swing. You then get XP every time you roll for strength because you have a condition in that. And then there are moves in there that allow you to ignore the the disadvantage of stats that you have conditions in. So there's this balancing act of like, okay, I really need XP because I'm like one XP away from this. And I know I'm going to make this kind of role. Do I want to give myself disadvantage in that role by giving myself a condition? It will make it harder, but I will get that XP. And it's like this really interesting balancing act of having to intentionally and actively chase adventure in this way and like chase the 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 kind of character uh progression that you want and like what is narratively most interesting for your character for uh your character to be going through in that moment yeah that that actually does sound really good i think like that that seems like a good balance between those two things because yeah i (laughs) like there are just certain moments that just like okay this I guess I guess I take this because I don't know mm-hmm. um, I guess, or you tell I me guess to take I'm it and now, now I have to take <laughs> yeah 
Uh, all right. Uh, yeah, but you know, and that, I'm like not to bag on masks or anything. Like that. I just like I just think it's just it's just something that it doesn't instantly click for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I really. This is kind of just a tangent, but I really want to try Apocalypse Worlds just to be like, Same. I just want to play the game that started it all. Like, yeah. how, you know what I mean? Because PBTA is like probably the most um, popular system currently. Uh, you know, if you're like not looking at D and D, because like people don't really hack D and D. You know what I mean? Like when people are making games, there's not, it's usually not like yeah. a D and D five E clone. Um, like people make settings and stuff like that for it, but it's not the same thing as like people make full on games of that are made out of the PBTA system. Yeah. Um, and they're so variable. So, each one, yeah. like I would say like the best PBTA games, like each one feels so different, but you can tell what the core of that is of like the focus on narrative, uh, and sometimes like genre emulation um mm-hmm. caring about okay this is the character that i'm playing what is it feels so much more invested in what is going to ha- what is the arc of my character what is yeah. go- i'm playing this character because i want to see this kind of thing explored mm-hmm. as i play my game where like I feel like the distinction between like playbooks in PBTA and like classes and like a lot of uh, uh, traditional RPGs is the difference between classes are these are the things that I do. This these are my abilities and skills. While playbooks are like this is who I am and this is what I bring to the table as like the person that I am and also. Mm-hmm. What am I going to, what is, what are the, what are the obstacles and challenges that are specific to who I am as a person that I'm going to have to overcome as I play out this character? Yeah. Playbook. Yeah. It's, that's another, like playbooks. I think I love what they do in that respect, but I, I love customization, character customization too. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that's another part. I think that's another like hang up of mine of just like the finding that right specific balance there um but yeah i mean i love it i think i love that there are different systems now that we can use to like achieve these goals of creating stories and that story has become such a large focus for the ttrpg space um because i think there's a lot of amazing people who have amazing stories to tell so it's cool that we can like we have this tool to put it out there and like reach people and 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 get this stuff out there i love that Mm um kind of to switch a little bit like if you don't mind my asking, where did you where did you grow up? I I am originally from St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, okay. I uh, I lived in like the city of St. Louis, uh, mm-hmm. so I'm a I'm a Midwest boy at heart. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Uh, where you grew up? Did you like were you around a lot of black folks and stuff? I <laughs> I up until my the end of elementary school i was primarily around other black people other people who looked mm-hmm. like me and then upon yeah. going to my uh, all boys catholic middle school <laughs> was Oof. put into a predominantly <laughs> white institution and then was in predominantly white institutions until leaving college yeah yeah i mean did do you feel like that affected your um 
your nerddom or your identity at all? Yes. Um, I, this kind of, uh, if you don't mind me getting like very serious here. No, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, upon like mid to late, so I went to Mizzou for college, uh, which has been in the news uh, within the past couple of years around the ways in which it dealt with racial issues at the college and Mm -hmm. um, uh, 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 threats of violence and and hate uh, to uh, a lot of the black, brown, and uh, BIPOC people in general uh, on campus. Mm -hmm. And it's around that time in, like, what, like, 2015, 2016, um, that I really had to start reckoning with my identity and, like, how I viewed myself as a black person, um, a black mask-presenting person um, in society. And it was around then that I realized that having lived in America, which is has a, a... a very unhealthy focus on whiteness um, Mm -hmm. and media, which has a very unhealthy focus on whiteness. Um, (laughs) I realized that the way I would portray myself in role-playing games uh, in video games that I played, even the way in which I would sometimes imagine myself, Mm -hmm. I very rarely ever depicted myself as being black. Um, Mm -hmm. I would make white characters in games. I would sometimes like, I wouldn't actively imagine myself as being white, but like I didn't imagine myself as being black. Um, yeah. And that there's a dissonance between like that and the way that society actually interacts with me. Um, Mm -hmm. I am a firm believer that the way we engage in media do, like has an effect on us. And I like the whole, um, I can't even think of the name of the event. Columbine. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. I was the, like, yeah, sorry. I'm trying to think of recent things. Yeah. You know, yeah. The sorry, way Columbine affected the zeitgeist and like the way in which we analyze and have discourse around media completely ruined mm-hmm. it because people took, uh, video games don't like cause violence. Took that and rolled with it with everything else with the way that we engage with media. Um, yeah, I'm a firm believer that the way in which we engage, not just with ourselves but with other people in the games that we play, do have an effect and do reflect often the ways in which we. Uh, perceive the world around us and ourselves. Um, yeah. Because I was watching media that either was focusing on white or white passing individuals. Um, mm-hmm. And because the majority of video games that I was playing that had a focus on white or white passing individuals, it always made me think that white people were so cool. I would make characters in soul caliber or, uh, or, or, um, Dragon Quest, or even in D and D, that looked like the people that I thought were the coolest, that could do mm-hmm. anything, and those tended to be white or white passing people. Um, yeah, and like, and that changed the way that I've like viewed myself 
in like viewing whites as this somehow soup this these super people <laughs> that could do whatever <laughs> the heck they wanted uh yeah and like upon like having to really reckon with that and like being like being in a space where threats of violence are towards people who looked like me whether or not i thought of myself in that way or really engaged in actively um accepting these parts of my identity that are like race is a, a construct pushed on us by society um yeah i i really had to like really reorient the way in which i saw myself and the way i engaged with media and i had to make an active choice to be like okay no every character i make now they're black uh, there's no there's yeah. no stopping that um <laughs> yeah even even to the point of like gifs that i use uh i mm. if there's a difference if like there are two similar reaction gifs of like a white person doing something and a black person. I will choose the black person just because it is still an exp it is still a reflection of me expressing something that I feel and I feel for me it is healthier for my mental state and the way in which that I'm choosing to express my identity to have that be another black person. Um yeah, I'm the same, yeah. 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 I I mean, thank you for sharing that. Did, um, like, how long do you think it took, um, for you to start to like realize that? Too long, <laughs> too long. Like too long, I was yeah. like, again, like I was in my like sophomore year in college before yeah. I really, really had to sit down and think about the way that I was portraying myself in games and mm -hmm. media and like the way that was legitimately affecting the way I thought of myself as a person. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, I, I definitely went through not necessarily the same thing, but something sort of similar in that, like the music that I loved was a lot of like emo pop punk stuff, which is like 99.9% .9 white <laughs> yeah. people. Yeah. So it was like, you know what I mean? Like to, to, to go through that like identity crisis of like wanting to like emulate that style and realizing that wasn't a reality uh, for me and kind of like dealing with that, you know, on a subconscious level, probably for a lot of my life is like, it was just kind of a, a very, those things can be difficult because it's like you, you both know, like, I love this and there shouldn't be an issue with the thing that I love, but also I don't feel represented yeah. and that feels weird. And, um, and you want to feel represented, right? Even I think I can imagine that even you during that time wanted to feel represented and just didn't really understand how that would even look. Yeah. Um, not to like put words in your mouth, but that's just, you know, from, from what you told me, like, yeah, that's how it seems. And, and I just, I think it's, it is, it's tough. It's fascinating. And it's really hard to live in a space where like white supremacy is so, so prevalent, uh, that it can do those kinds of things to our mind. But it's, I'm, I'm happy for you that, you know, that you kind of, uh, at least you you. understood it and, and started to be able to come around to like, understand who you are and, and that who you are is beautiful and doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be that sort of non-reflection. Yeah. It, I thank you. I appreciate that. It's yeah. 
I think of, I think like around the time that I was like really like doing my like deep, deep introspective dive, like I kept thinking about, you know, the old, um, like uh, psychological studies on like black children who were like mm. faced with like, which doll would you prefer, the white doll or the black doll? And like they would always choose the white one because like mm-hmm. the way and the way we, you were 100% correct. And like the representation truly does matter because, and and this goes for a lot of things in order for you to internalize and like a belief in something and, and see like a possible path forward in something you first have to be able to imagine it. And mm-hmm. the, a lot of what we are able to imagine is so, is so much informed by what everyone around us has puts out there as possibilities, including representation in media, being able to see black, brown, Asian people out there in media being superheroes, being badasses, being spies, being whatever opens our minds, especially like when in our formative years of being able to be like, oh, these are the possibilities ahead of me. These are the things Mm -hmm. that I'm able to do. And like that has a huge impact in how you view yourself as a person and how you view your future and the way that you are able to do whatever you want. If those possibilities aren't put in front of you during those like formative times when you're really taking in everything, like why would you imagine that you can be like, why would you imagine that you could be an award winning, uh, like director if you wanted to get in movies, if you don't see another black director out there, (laughs) if every director you see standing on that stage, getting an award is some old white dude. Right. Mm, That's why people like Jordan Peele are so important to especially young black people today, seeing someone out there that looks like them being able to do the kind of stuff that up until within the past couple of decades, we've only seen white people do and be praised for. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's why, like, I, you know, having young children, I always just try to, like, point it out to them so they understand, like, I mean, it's tough. Like my kids are under five years old, all of them, mm-hmm. and they are already presented, you know, in school and stuff with like situations of like people like pointing out like, oh, you know, you're black. And and it's sometimes it's not like it's it's usually other kids, right, mm-hmm. who learn it from their parents. And yeah, so to help them understand like, yes, this is a, a fact, but it's also a good thing and it's a positive thing and then give them positive examples. And that's what I love like a lot. Like, even though I wish there was more, there are a lot of, there are positive pieces of media out there now that I can show them. Like I can, like when we, when CBS came out, I was like, baby girl like that, that girl has your hair. Like this girl looks like you like, and she's going to go do this cool thing on this movie. And so they get excited. You know what I mean? And like that is so special, especially to not have it you know, as a kid, I remember, I think I wasn't in, I didn't have access to like comics and stuff, um, as a kid, but I think I was like 16 or 17 when I finally had like reasonable internet access and like trying to find like black superheroes Mm -hmm. and like learning about like, um, like the black green lantern and like black Panther and like that shit was just like amazing to me Mm -hmm. because it was like, Oh cool. Like even if it's not, 
available. Like I clung to Green Lantern as a character, as like the character core concept. Even, but like John Stewart is my dude. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it's like that can't be understated enough, especially for people like us who are starved for it uh, when we were younger. So yeah, it's it's so important that that we get it, and it, it's it's exciting that we have more avenues now. Like the fact that like fucking Ryan Coogler's out there, you know, making these amazing movies and mm-hmm. Jordan Peele. Yeah. It's just, it's the best. Yeah. I, I hope it keeps coming. And like, and I also, I get excited for other people's representation too. Like Miss Marvel. Incredible. Prey. Incredible. I really want to watch Prey so bad. I just you haven't had the time yet, but literally everything <laughs> about it looks so damn cool. Yeah. It is, and it's and it's it's really good. And it, like as a as a girl dad, I definitely like that's I want I want those like positive images of women mm-hmm. uh, doing doing powerful stuff. So like yeah, it's I think it's it's important that we just continue to be empathetic and like look outside of just ourselves. Um, I took this like I was in this like leadership training at my old job, and we talked about like you, people always know like oh think outside the box, but like we had to do this exercise where we could we all sat around a table in a circle we could not move from our spot and we had to try to count in our head how many like balls were in this glass cube and um nobody got the answer right or like if you did it was a lucky guess but it was like because you have to not only look outside the box but you have to turn the box right and look at it from somebody else's perspective Mm -hmm. and i think that that's so important to like to be empathetic and to put ourselves in other people's shoes and to understand there are different ways to go about this and to have like conversations where we can talk about like, yeah, this is a thing that we've been blind to because we had no other perspective on how to look at it. And now you have this perspective and you can open your eyes and yeah, I love that. Yeah. And like, even like going like uh, back to your comments about like being able to like point out to your daughters, like, Hey, CBs, like this is like, I'm, I'm reminded of, um, that, the you know the girl the girl power scene in in Endgame that everyone talks about yeah yeah right where yeah. so many people complained about it where it's like oh my god we get it yada 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 this is unearned yeah. but hey guess what that scene's not for the most of us that's not yeah. for that scene was not made for me I can look at that yeah. it's not it is made for the girls who have not seen themselves represented in a way where they have power where they have Mm -hmm. agency i um i'm friends with uh, one of my old high school teachers on facebook and he was like he literally he posted a video of like him and his daughters like watching that scene and they go crazy for that scene like they love seeing it they love seeing the characters and like acting as them as they're doing the cool stuff in that scene because that scene is made for them it is to empower them Mm -hmm. it is so that they can see themselves on the screen and like it's okay that things aren't made for everyone because the different like not everybody is going to be represented in every space, but we should have spaces for everyone to be represented and yeah. give and give them the space to breathe for that. Yeah. I mean, that's, what's so exciting about the black Panther to the fact that it's going to have not just black representation, but also Mexican indigenous representation as well. Mm-hmm. I think it's just so cool. Like I live in New Mexico. So to me, like this is like, this is like seeing two parts of my life that I grew up around, like coming together um, as superheroes, which is like, it's, it's fucking awesome. Yeah. But yeah, I, th- I, I, I love it. I, I definitely think 
we need to celebrate more other people's successes and representation um, and not just our own. Because it's important, like 100% still celebrate your own. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But like, let's let's lift other people up too and, and point out when that shit's working and be positive because um, it, it doesn't always have to just be for you. Like you said, like it's, you know, these moments can be shared and we can just be happy that other people get to be happy. Absolutely. <laughs> presented. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love it. Um, yeah. I mean, before I let you go, cause I know we're, uh, we've gone for a little bit, but um, you are, you mentioned being a director for Bards and Brews. Um, I guess like, what does that entail? Uh, I've had a few interactions with Alex, but I never really talked to them about it, but like, yeah. you know, um, yeah, what's you know what's that been like, and, and what do you what do you do there? Yeah, so uh, for bars and brews, uh, the vast majority of what I do is well, first I run a stream on there, uh, prayers in the yeah. static every other Friday, and uh, also like I look, I help program, I help try to find new people and new stuff to be like, hey, yeah. okay, th- this is the kind of content that we want. Um, there are going to be some major changes to bars and brews, uh, soon. Um, that will be, uh, talked about probably by the end of the, I don't know when this episode comes out. This will come out in a month. This will come so out. You have four weeks. Okay. By the time that this has come out, this might have, have already happened. Um, <laughs> but, uh, there we, as of this moment, we are currently in talks about a change of ownership um mm. for from bards and brews to nameless domain okay and so uh that's c- kind of what i do is being able to like be like okay here's all these different people what what is the content or not even just content what are the stories and what are the mm. like projects that other people that we want to see other people have a platform for and be able to yeah. give them the platform in order to do that. And I'm very excited for this new change because it it is going to make uh, whatever Bards and Brews becomes, I, I think the name will also end up changing, um, yeah. to being a platform specifically for uh for for marginalized people, specifically BIPOC uh, people, which I am... Yeah. Very excited to see, and I'm so excited to be able to not only uh, be a part of it because I'm not leaving. Um, yeah, <laughs> but being able to uh, like have all of these incredibly talented people who I think uh, often go overlooked just because they don't have the platform, they don't have the same number of followers, mm-hmm. they don't have all of this. Being able to give them that platform, give them a stage to be able to be like, "Hey, this is what I do." This is what I want to share with everyone. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm very excited to be able to see like what ends up coming from that. Yeah. Yeah. That's super awesome. I'm excited to see what comes from that too. I think, I think, um, you know, we definitely need more, more people collaborating together to, to increase that platform because that's one thing I've noticed. I mean, it really is tough in the space right now because, there are so many different competing voices, right? Even even if we are working together, like there's still a ton of voices out there, yeah. and there's only so many things 
people can listen to uh, or or focus on. And so, yeah, I think having collaborative efforts to increase uh, visibility for for projects, I think, is always going to be um, a beneficial thing. So, yeah, I'm super excited for that. That's that's awesome. Thanks for for sharing that news. Of course. Um, well, yeah, I think um, I mean this has been incredible. This is uh, I didn't you know I never really know where these conversations are going to go when when I start. Um, but I've I've thoroughly loved this entire thing. And um, Same. yeah, just I guess yeah. Before you go, uh, thanks again. And then if you like you know where pe- where can people find you? Yeah. No. Again, thank you so much. Um, yeah. Uh, if you want to find me, you can find me everywhere on the internet at Kindo Makes Films, uh, and you can find my actual play podcast tales yet told at tales yet told on instagram and twitter uh we release episodes every other wednesday uh that you can find uh on your podcatchers wherever you get your podcasts yeah heck yeah check it out follow um leave leave ratings and reviews please all that stuff always helps yeah please tell me for sure well yeah (laughs) tell me what you think i need to know if it's good (laughs) tell me you love me tell me um yeah (laughs) well cool thank you so much again and uh yeah i super appreciate this no thank you so much for having me on yeah absolutely thank you so much for listening i hope you enjoyed the show if you would like to reach out to us check out the many options on the anchor app or anchor.fm on your browser you can also reach us at secretnerdpodcast at gmail.com make sure to subscribe to the show and if you'd like leave a review to help us grow this thing 